Hi, you're listening to the second episode of the Creative Bridge podcast. I'm Ollie, and this week I'm talking to Hugo Barclay from ArtThou, a platform where collectors and corporates access the work of some of the most sought-after contemporary artists. We talk a bit about where the idea for ArtThou came from, and how it's currently shaping up, but also talk about the role of tech in art, how no-code tools are lowering the barrier to entry, and the importance of educating startups in the importance of art. Enjoy! So Hugo, do you fancy telling us a little bit about yourself before we get into ArtThou and what it is you're building just now? Sure, yeah. So, so I'm the founder of, of ArtThou. Um, I've uh, recently relocated back to Scotland, um, having spent uh, just shy of a decade in London. Prior to that, I was a Strathclyde University in Scotland, so, so I moved down, like many do, to start their careers uh, in the big smoke. Um, and. Uh, I guess I've worked uh, at the cross-section of SaaS and tech sales um, and the arts industry, the visual arts industry. I've worked for uh, companies like Global Data and uh, Artsy. Um, So for those of your listeners that are in the visual arts sector, Artsy is the the largest online marketplace for for fine art. Um, So um, when I was there, I was on the partnership side of the business um, and I spoke to you know, 500 or so galleries and art dealers about how they run their businesses. And then um, I've also worked um, on the agency side of things, so um, as, an, as an art dealer and working on uh, private commissions for, for clients. Yeah, so I guess the, the collective experience of those experiences are, are what um, Art Thou has become. It certainly sounds like you've built the right network over over that time. Um, which actually, yeah, let's 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 jump into a bit about art that because I think I'd like to, to talk a bit more about that. Sure. Um, so art is both a, a platform and an agency. Uh, so we work with some of the most exciting emerging artists around, uh, and we help promote their story online and through physical exhibitions. So. Over the last year, it's mostly been online because of COVID, um, but we also do uh, physical exhibitions um, and we're launching a couple of uh, exciting new initiatives that we might talk about later uh, next year. And, and I guess the story of Art Thou really came about uh, not as a commercial project, but more as a curiosity project a couple of years ago. So at the time I was working for this, uh, for this agency and um, in my evenings and uh, weekends, I would go to artist studios and I would uh, interview them. Um, and it was kind of a, just an excuse to go and hang out with artists, drink wine with them and, and listen to their story uh, and unpick the why behind their practice. Uh, and that was really insightful. I, I interviewed over 100 artists uh, and published loads of their stories as articles on our website. Um, but, uh, but, but yeah, it was, it, was, uh, uh, it, it was just really insightful to learn about uh, and just to be around artists whose work that I loved uh, and to have the exposure of um, what emerging artists are trying to do at the moment. Um, and the platform now since uh, COVID and having uh, relocated back to Edinburgh, it has now become a bit more commercial. So we, uh, we sell work uh, on the website and we publish their story online. That sounds awesome, like kind of swanning around London, like artist studios, kind of hanging out with them. That must have been a lot of fun, right? I went to the most amazing places um, from abandoned and converted pubs in Camberwell to large studio spaces in East London um, to, to warehouses that were kind of being used as kind of property guardianship schemes where there was, you know, artists living there and working there. It was a 
fascinating way to see London, but also to just to meet that, I guess, that, that scene. Um, if you're not part of that scene, it's, it's a really interesting entry uh, into it. Yeah, I bet you've been to some pretty good parties in those places as well. It was, uh, yeah, fond, fond, fond memories of London. My mum's got a studio in Hackney that is, uh, it's, it doesn't sound as fun as, as what you've been, been at, you know, in your life, but maybe that's just a, a different different area of, of artists. Um, so, I mean, the last eight, nine months has, you know, presumably had a huge effect on, you know, how people engage with art. Um, and you sort of spoke a bit about how you've moved galleries online. What what, what does that look like? Um, you know, how there's, there's kind of a lot of people expecting traditional offline um, activities with galleries. How, how does that look when you translate it? Uh, so, so I think all of the, I mean, most galleries have had to, really accelerate their or, or reallocate their budgets to uh, to online activity uh, and online marketing so where um, you a gallery would typically do between four and seven exhibitions um, that were physical in a permanent space now that's no longer the case um, because uh, in a different places you're not able to do physical exhibitions or have people to visit physical exhibitions um, galleries have to be, they've had to think slightly differently in terms of how, how do you promote the story of your artists and their practice online. And so what we've seen is uh, online viewing rooms. So an online viewing room uh, isn't a, I guess if you're really cynical, it could be like a glorified e-commerce webpage. Um, but um, from, from, a, from a, a gallery perspective, it's a bit more than that. It's how can you really share the story of an artist and a practice uh, in ways that are experiential um, and that convey a message that's not purely for, from a transactional perspective. And so do these platforms exist right now? Uh, well, g- galleries are basically re- reinventing their websites and, and, and creating spaces on their websites to, uh, to promote their exhibitions. It just it feels like that's maybe a huge opportunity right now. I mean, so we're, we're talking on Zoom, which, you know, I think we've all gotten a little bit, you know, we're comfortable using Zoom and it's great for calls like this or even kind of, you know, a few more people. But I think we're seeing this kind of great unbundling of Zoom where you're getting industry-specific versions popping up and making it more experiential. And, you know, it feels like there's potentially something quite exciting in, in the world of art that could exist. And it's hard to picture what it looks like, you know, with, uh, I'm just imagining these, have you been to one of these conferences where it's like a kind of 2D picture of like a, a conference foyer? And it's, you know, it's just, it's a bit, mm. it's a bit like a kind of um, 90s um, computer game, like adventure story, you know, where it's just like a kind of point and click adventure game. And it feels like maybe the art world, you know, needs something, it deserves something more exciting and more experiential that... Yeah, I mean, I think the, um, I think Instagram's really helped with that because you can do live uh, video calls. And so uh, getting closer to the artist, often the gallery was this kind of middle, um, the distribution of a distribution network between the collector and the artist. And so um, now be, being in conversation directly with artists has really helped. So, um, you, you know, you don't have to look that far away. And there's also just the accessibility tools of things like Instagram and Stories and Zoom that are all free, um, just really allow um, people who are interested to speak to to access and to hear the stories of artists so that's really exciting Um, and i think also um, from a larger macroeconomic 
perspective of the art world, uh, a thing that's happened is, or a thing that's continuing to happen that's just been accelerated, accelerated I, should, I should say, uh, is just the, uh, the transparency of pricing. So, so, so basically, pricing is um, only generally available by the results of auction houses. And um, with, um, because of COVID, um, it, it's meant that a lot of art fairs, so Basel, Freeze, and a lot of other regional fairs have made it mandatory for galleries exhibiting at those fairs um, for their online edition to publish the pricing of their artworks. It means that that data is now available online. And that means from a macro perspective, it's really interesting to get a full picture of you know, what's the size of the market and um, what's the direction um, that it's going. That's, that's huge. I mean, I guess there's like the sort of stock market of art exists right now. You know, if you want to kind of try and predict the value of something and uh, place a bet. Yeah, it's, it, it's, um, there's, been different, there's been different versions of that that have popped up here and there. Um, it, it's, it's difficult because, um, you know, when you're looking at pricing from um, galleries and artists exhibiting at Basel and Freeze and even at auction houses, you're really looking at the top 10%. And so there's a huge size of the market that's completely unregulated where you don't need to promote any of your prices. So it's not really a full picture. Um, but um, from, a, from, a, from a, an index perspective, it at least gives you a general idea of what's going on. Cool. Um, and I really liked, you sort of mentioned this um, a few minutes ago, I guess there's kind of a, a breaking down of the, the kind of gatekeepers of art happening right now. Um, and, and the word you used was accessible. Um, and you know, are we seeing a shift into that? You know, private galleries, you know, not being able to welcome people in. And, you know, if you're opening things up more to the world, is it becoming more open? Yes and no. Um, you, you may have seen or, or you, if you have Instagram, you probably had um, some work promoted to you via the artist support pledge, uh, which is a uh, uh, it's like a pay it forward scheme um, that was created by an artist uh, at the beginning of first lockdown um, and it was kind of like if you if you're an artist or anyone can basically do this this thing called the artist support pledge and uh, sell work on Instagram and if you sell over a grand then you buy another work from another artist and that's really created this cycle um, of um, of promoting work online and so I think from those aspects it's, it has become more accessible but um you know, it's still a massive industry with uh, over ten, tens of thousands of galleries um, that are, you know, doing their thing. So, um, you know, I think there's still a long, a long way to go. So just the artists that you primarily work with about that are kind of folks, you know, closer to the beginning of their career. Is that that's right? Um, and I guess I'm kind of interested. That must be a very difficult you know, ladder to get onto. There must be a huge amount of competition, lots of folks. Um, kind of competing for, say, space in galleries or just for exposure um, to get in front of the right people. And I'm wondering, is, is kind of tech moving towards supporting artists in, in those endeavors? I mean, the Instagram thing sounds awesome. And, you know, ArtVow is kind of doing that. Uh, do you think, you know, there's going to be more of that, that coming into existence? It's interesting because technology, technology and all the tools are, are great and they've really helped. Um, they, they really help. Uh, our artists professionalize their appearance online. It really helped with the tools to promote themselves. But um, but I think it comes down to first and foremost, like what are your goals as an artist? Um, you know, are you a career artist or are you trying to, um, are you an illustrator and you're trying to put your, you know, whatever your designs on mugs or, or, or you know, wh where do you fit on that spectrum? And 
wherever you fit is okay. On that spectrum, then you've got to look at, okay, how is tech going to help me? Because if you're a career artist, then having a shop on your own personal website maybe isn't the right idea. But for someone who's, uh, you know, more on the craft side of things, then actually maybe it is. So it's about striking the right balance. I think that SaaS tools and no-code tools are, in, there's an insane amount of no-code tools that help professionalize uh, an artist's online presence um, and, um, you know, develop things like a mailing list or um, operationalize their business, um, something that artists don't like to talk about very much. They like to talk more about the subject matter of their practice, but, you know, a big part of that is actually, you know, how do you... Um, you know, operationalize your studio and I think no good tools really help with that. Yeah, I think there's a big analogy to, to most startups there where they're very obsessed with their product um, and they don't think about that other stuff, the kind of operational side of building a business. And I guess, you know, I've kind of clumsily referred to artists, but I mean, there are many artists who, you know, couldn't care less about selling their work, you know, artists for everyone and people want to want to do their own, own thing. But, um, you know, we're kind of talking about folks who are interested in, in using tech to you know, build build an audience, you know, and, and like you say, start and grow a career. You talked about you've got some other exciting things coming up with Art Thou. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about them? Sure, yeah. So, so next year we're launching the pilot of a new initiative uh, and this will be uh, available at first for Scottish businesses only. Um, so if you're a business in tech or you're in financial services, maybe you're a boutique law firm or you're, in, uh, you know, you're a real estate company, um, you'll be able to lease original art for your workspace. Um, I, I guess, of course, you know, leasing isn't a new concept itself, um, but our approach is just so different. Uh, and the genesis of this idea uh, really came about from a question that I've been thinking about a lot. And it's a really simple question. It's also a question that's really personal to me and, and a question that will resonate to a lot of artists uh, around the country. Uh, I guess it's personal to me because, because both my parents are visual artists. So um, I, I've seen them struggle to put food on the table directly from their practice. And having interviewed hundreds of artists at the birth of what art thou was. I guess I've been thinking about wh why do artists struggle to make a living from their art, um, simply put. And I think there's not really a sustainable framework out there to help visual artists develop a monthly income. Um, so, you know, if you're an artist and you have an exhibition, your exhibition goes well, then you sell a lot of paintings and those are one-off transactions and that's great. But if, if your exhibition doesn't go so well, then it's not so great, you know, and, and it's tough. And so by this model, um, what we can do is that uh, we'll be able to help artists have a monthly income from the revenue generated from leased works. Um, so I'm really excited to be launching that next year. Um, and uh, yeah, it'll be just really exciting to see how it's received in, uh, in Edinburgh and Glasgow and across Scotland. Yeah, it's kind of like, yeah, art as a service. Exactly, yeah. Ass. Maybe, maybe <laughs> rebrand it or something. I mean, and how, in terms of, you know, connecting, say, say a startup, um, I work at a building full of startups, you know, connecting them to artists, or I guess more specifically their art, like, how would you go about doing that? Like, is there kind of a, a method to kind of make sure that you're getting the right pieces to the right people? Uh, absolutely, yeah. So, so, and that's where, from a demand side, uh, from a market side, that's where we're so different to a lot of other businesses that have tried to do the whole leasing model. Um, 
where historically businesses have really focused on aesthetics. So finding a pretty picture for an office and just kind of ticking that box. Um, where we differentiate ourselves is that we really uh, work with our clients to handpick work that uh, is really aligned to what those companies stand for. So uh, if you're a company and you're really uh, you really want to promote, um, you know, you're, 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 you're really pro-diversity, for example, uh, and you want to promote, you really want to um, build a collection around emerging artists or female-only artists or only local artists, then we can help you target the right types of artists based on your requirements. Um, and of course, it's got to be, you know, uh, aesthetically beautiful work that makes sense for an office environment but it's about looking at both the story of the work and how it aligns with those values, as well as something that's amazing and beautiful. So how um, would you kind of go about getting that information from the company? You know, is it kind of interview? Like, do you, I'm imagining it's almost like a sort of Myers-Briggs-esque kind of questions that you ask someone, um, you know, of, of, to uncover what kind of art you think would be um, suitable for them. It's about listening to companies and, um, understanding what they stand for, uh, understanding what their vision is, what, what their, their mission statement is, if they have one, um, and, um, and really how they want to project their image. So it's as simple as that. We're, we're not going to make them sit down and do a, a Myers-Briggs test uh, per se, um, but, but having a conversation and really listening to them and, and how they're trying to portray their image um, should do that. And, and I guess, I mean, so, so Codebase is a, a chaotic building full of, of startups who are really just finding their feet. Um, I mean, even to us in Team Codebase, we don't have an office manager or someone who kind of keeps the, the office looking good. And I almost kind of wonder or worry. So you have these artists presenting their beautiful work, you know, their heart and soul poured into it. And then it gets put up next to, you know, the whiteboards that has got doodles on it and like the kind of dead office plant and things like is there a kind of a bit of a almost um i don't want to call it interior design but like a, a moment of kind of helping the startup understand the place of art and like De to, definitely to... yeah definitely uh it, it, and that's really important we're not just gonna um you know find a you know source 10 artworks and then just drop them off and, and hope that they'll maybe get hung at some point in the future you know startups are busy you know building their own vision of the world um, and so are businesses that aren't startups that, that are funded and so forth and so uh, as part of the service that we come in and we hang those works in this in the right spaces for them um, you know of course an office environment isn't a white cube space and we're not going to try and uh, I guess compete against a, a white cube gallery environment but we will do our best to curate a space that makes sense for, um, for, for an office. Yeah, I'm even imagining, you know, the right lighting and things as well. You know, all of that stuff is so important to, to kind of complete the package, um, which is, you know, a useful service for, for folks to have in their office anyway. Like I say, we don't think nearly enough about how, you know, our office is aesthetically. So you mentioned that you have moved back to Scotland um, after spending a long time in, in London. Um, and... How are you finding it adjusting from big city life to you know, building a business in, in a city that is a fraction of the size? Yeah, I mean, it's difficult because of the environment's been, because of COVID, it, I, I don't think any of us have experienced 2020 like we anticipated it. But, um, but moving to Edinburgh, 
Um, I, I guess I moved back to Scotland from a personal perspective because family, a family member was unwell, but moving to Edinburgh specifically for us um, was um, very intentional. Um, you know, Edinburgh, personally, from, from an art perspective, uh, it's just really interesting. It's, I, I guess for me, it's, a, it's the perfect ecosystem. Um, I, you know, there's culture running through its veins with the fringe and theatre and music. But at the same time, it's not saturated from a visual arts perspective. You know, in London, you have 430 plus galleries. You know, in Edinburgh, you can count them on two hands. Um, and so that's interesting. Um, but then also from a market perspective, you know, there's a growing tech scene that you guys are involved with, uh, a code base. Uh, there's an established financial services sector, and that brings um, additional services to that. And then, of course, there's an abundance of SMEs, and, and as we all know. Uh, SMEs are you know, the backbone of, of the British economy. So uh, I'm super excited about what Edinburgh can, can provide for Art Thou and, uh, and, and what, it, what it will one day become. Yeah, that's awesome. Cool. Well, yeah, I think we'll probably have to call a time there, but thank you so much, Hugo, for, for joining me today. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing more from Art Thou in, in 2021.